Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. So I don't know if there's any other content creators listening to our podcast, but there's sort of this thing about content creation where when you start a project or a blog or whatever, and then you sort of have like, you have like ideas in mind of what you want to do, but you don't jump to them right away because you want to get better at what you're doing, or maybe you want more time to sit on it and think about it. And uh, I know uh, when starting Cinematic Doctrine, I had a couple movies I wanted to talk about, but I didn't right away. And some I probably will never get to because I sort of thought I want to I want it to germinate more and I want to get better at podcasting and so Dan I know you're a big fan of over the garden wall would you say that this is one of those topics or projects where you kind of always thought like I would love to talk about this or do something with it but now that we're now that it's upon you it's almost like well am I ready for this can I even can I even dish out what I'm what I'm hoping to see that kind of thing i this is one of the things that i've been kind of i have been looking forward to talking about it because i'm a huge fan of over the garden wall i remember i watched it when it debuted like i watched it live i was really excited for it uh because the guy i think his name is patrick McHale. he if you look at the people who wrote and directed and like storyboarded the show they're all ex captain flapjack who all went on to work on adventure time who then all then sort of did their own projects. So so many people who worked on Flapjack wanted to work at Adventure Time that both of those shows, if you watch an animated show that is, I guess, what you consider like a prestige animated thing, if you look at the people working on it, they either worked on Gravity Falls or they worked on Adventure Time or Flapjack. So uh, Patrick McHale was initially a creative director on Adventure Time, and then he took a break from that to do this uh, before returning as like a writer and director in Adventure Time. So I was really excited for it coming out. And just the experience of sitting down and watching it live and just being completely caught off guard by it, because I'm not the type of person who likes to learn too much about stuff, like, especially if it's just someone I trust as a creator. Like the minute you tell me that, like, oh, Edgar Wright has a new movie coming out, I won't watch any trailers. I won't read any descriptions. I won't look at who's in the movie. Even I'll just be like, okay, I'll watch that because I like to be just like caught off guard slash just take it for the ride. And so I was very pleasantly surprised by what over the garden wall was and i probably it probably became the thing that i would tell everyone to watch like every year around um october halloween time which you did like two episodes ago yes i recommended it here on the show because Mm -hmm. of course i would it's one of the one of the times that everything works out the way it should where fortunately over the garden wall has slowly gained this cult following as a seasonal favorite where even recently, and I'll try my best to honor the wishes of my friends, which is we had a watch party at my house, and it was, uh, I'll just use the first name because it's so general, but my friends Michelle, Rachel, and Shannon came over, and we all watched Over the Garden Wall together, and I asked for their thoughts because I was like, hey, I'm recording a podcast on this show. Uh, tell me what you think. And they did not have very good, <laughs> good thoughts, quite frankly. Did they not like it? No, they all love it. And so this is my friend Shannon's sixth time watching it this year. My friend Michelle watches it every year. And my friend Rachel actually has only seen it uh, once before this, but she loved it the minute she saw it. And uh, the main thing was that my, my friend Shannon referred to Elijah Wood as the guy from Happy Feet, as opposed to the guy from Lord <laughs> the of the Rings. The guy from Lord of the Rings. And then did anyone did anyone call him the guy from Spy Kids three? <laughs> the guy. I said the, the producer guy. of Greasy Strangler. So I mean, we're all <laughs> we all have different Elijah Wood experiences. That guy with the, in the dog show. My friend Michelle was like, I loved him. I loved him in Wilfred. Said my friend Michelle. Yeah, and then we're talking about Elijah Wood, and then the debate was for some reason my friend Shannon was convinced that there was no voice acting in Happy Feet. Which is weird because why would the cast Elijah Wood in it if there's no voice acting? Maybe she's confusing it with March of the Penguins. That's what we said. We were just, yeah, we were just like those two came s- out at the same time. Yeah, I was like, you must be thinking of March of the Penguins. She's like, no, but like, there's no talking in that movie. So we had to like pause or watch party to look up trailers on YouTube of 
of happy feet. And so when like characters were talking, she's like, I don't know why I'm having this like Mandela effect like experience. And then after all of this, my friend Michelle nonchalantly was like, oh, yeah, I met Elijah Wood. And I'm like, you had that story in your back pocket for like the last like hour and a half. It was talking about happy feet. And like apparently she showed she dressed like Wilfred and stuff for Halloween. And she showed Elijah Wood on her phone. Elijah was like, that's awesome. So he, Elijah Wood pulled out his phone and took a picture of her phone to have a picture, <laughs> which is so funny for so many reasons to me. Because she's like, yeah, I just like to think that I'm just in Elijah Wood's phone to this day, <laughs> like somewhere buried in his photos. And I was like, why did he just ask you to send him a copy of the photo or whatever? Like, I guess he doesn't want his phone number out there. But like, why would he want this blurry, like pixels on pixels picture? <laughs> of- that's so cute. I know. What a nice guy Elijah Wood is. So. Elijah Wood, if you're ever listening to this, I would like to see that. I would like to see your version of this photo. Just tweet it to me. Tweet at us. Just tweet it at us. Cinematic Doctor and Sindoc on Twitter, whatever our Twitter handle is. It'll join the pantheon of weird celebrity photos that travel on the internet, like uh, Ryan Gosling carrying three Cokes, but he's carrying it like with his hand down at his chest, and then all three Cokes are stacked, so he has to hold it with his chin. Do you know that one? He's like at a grocery store. <laughs> I like to imagine that's when he was trying to fatten up to be in that uh, Peter Jackson movie and then didn't get the role anyway. So oh, good colli- or sad Keanu. That's the classic sad Keanu with sandwich. Yeah. So uh, Elijah Wood, if you're listening, I want that picture. Also, I know you for more things than happy feet. I know you're more than just Elijah happy feet. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, (laughs) I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. Yeah, so I don't know where I was going with that story, but that was that was your takeaways from your watch party of Over the Garden <laughs> that's my Wall. My takeaways that the songs, man, they hold up and they're so good. They're so catchy. They're so sweet. It was interesting watching it with people because the different things stick out to different people. Because there's quite a bit of like, there's a lot of very blunt, like surrealist humor in the show, but there's also a lot of stuff that's a little more subtle. So like. There's like different offhand lines. We get different people to laugh. There's different things that connect to different people emotionally because it's mm-hmm. manages to be one. It's this perfect mixture of it works very broadly because it works on both dream and fairy tale logic, which everyone can sort of relate to. And the broader themes connect with everyone, but the different specific applications as well as the specific situation that our lead characters find themselves in, I think resonate with different people. And I think part of why the show is cultivated, well, miniseries, I should say, hit such a loyal audience is, is that there's a there are some people who very deeply relate to what the actual root conflict of the story is. And that, I think, strikes people so strongly that that for them, like, it just resonates with them so deeply that it sort of sticks, you know, in a way that you can't 
I was just saying you can't predict, but I, I'm sure that people who wrote it knew that the story resonated with people. But yeah, there's going to be some people going to watch it. They're like, oh, that was kind of a neat, kind of a weird show. But there's other people who are going to relate to it stronger than others, which whenever we get to the spoiler section, I'm sure we'll uh, get into. So then tell us about Over the Garden Wall. What's the sort of what's the first episode? And then what is to be expected with the show for the for the re, for the real hardcore over the garden wall fans they'll know that this is an adaptation of a short film called tomb of the unknown or tome of the unknown uh which if you buy the dvd it's on there as a special feature uh there's one different voice actor the bluebird character is voiced by a different voice actress and bizarrely is voiced by a well-known celebrity which i won't spoil but or maybe well only well known to me but uh, so it's an adaptation of a short film, which is itself a really great little Over the Garden Wall episode, which so I recommend checking that out. But Over the Garden Wall is about two brothers, Mort and I'm bad with character names, Kid with a Pot on His Head. <laughs> it's Wirt and Gregory. Wirt and Gregory. So they are two brothers. And initially, we were just presented with them, just no context. They're just wandering in the woods and they're lost. And they run into Christopher Lloyd, who plays a woodsman, and Christopher Lloyd's great in this, who warns them of a beast in the woods, that if they're not careful, the beast will get them. And that is the entire premise, with just these two kids wandering in the woods. And as they wander around, they venture into progressively more surreal and strange locations with tons of quirky characters. They're eventually assisted by a blueboard. Uh, who says that they will get them to Adelaide, the woman of the woods. Gregory also picks up a frog whose name changes throughout the show as a running gag, which is very cute. Mr. President, Wirt and Wirt Jr. Which my friend Rachel at first thought that each frog was a different new frog. And that there was like a, she thought it was like a running dark joke where the frogs kept dying or that's why they had different names. And we're like, no, 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 that is not what is happening. <laughs> that's a better canon though. <laughs> what a depressing wow. show that'd be for kids. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and uh, what sets the show apart is both Patrick McHale brings the same sort of whimsical, melancholy writing that you see in Adventure Time to the show where there's this undercurrent of sadness that pervades almost everything that happens in the show. Uh, but there's also these great little emotional payoffs to everything. The show also has a two strong, uh, vibey things going on. First, it has very, as was pointed out by my friend Rachel, actually, it has a strong New Englandy vibe to it. Yes, classic New England. Yeah, so ancient. Yeah, if you're a Stephen King fan, or <laughs> I hate comparing this to Hubie Halloween or anything like that, or Hocus Pocus. It definitely evokes that more than it does like a Southern Gothic kind of vibe where it it's everywhere they go is fall. Yeah, it it is the spirit Halloween kind of thing, but a little yes. less spirit Halloween, more like just Halloween. <laughs> but what yeah, what keeps it from being like hocus pocus or like a spirit Halloween thing is it also has this old timey forties and fifties thing going on where all the music they're they're like ragtime tunes. A lot of the voice cast is made up of Broadway and opera singers. So all the songs are distinct and unique for this type of show. Uh, Elijah Wood interview said that if the soundtrack was like a physical CD or, or album, you'd listen to it through a phonograph, which makes sense. Uh, it has a very strong show tunes type of vibe. There's a dream sequence that looks like it, it looks like a level from Cuphead uh, because the animation awesome. is old school. Very great. Uh, very old school. Very awesome. And so... Uh, those things strengthen the material, which the material itself is very strong. It is a fairy tale about facing your fears. While there's all these great musical numbers throughout, all the characters stand out and are weird. But they're, everyone seems a little bit off, but they also are endearing at the same time. Kind of like real people. <laughs> kind of like real people. <laughs> yeah. Typically, we run into like one quality with everyone else that even the most normal people, they'll start saying things like, so I was checking out Alex Jones last night and you're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you're like, you're, you've known this person for four months. I They've never given told you, you that at confidence, Melvin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it's just like, but that's like normal people. Like if, if you talk to people, cause I sometimes feel like the more people I meet, the less common it is for people nowadays to have <laughs> external relationships. I don't know if this is just a cultural shift. Maybe it's social media. Uh, the voice cast of the show is pretty good. It's it's Christopher Lloyd, John Cleese. The John Cleese shows up as two characters. Oh my goodness! It's a 
it's a crazy cast. Tim Curry, but you know, he's sort of a staple for animated features at this point. Yeah, it's it's a mixture of like the people that always do like really good voice work as well as like I said, like Broadway and uh opera singers who come in and do a lot of musical numbers and all the musical numbers are varied and unique and they all are catchy like you'll find yourself humming most of these songs afterwards so um mm-hmm. if you have not picked up on the fact mm-hmm. that based on both my glowing introduction the fact that i've already recommended the show as one of the sh- one of our recommendations i'm a ma- giant fan of this it's 10 episodes long and the episode of 22 minutes. So it totally works as just a afternoon watch. I think it's about three and a half hours, They're like 15 minutes. They're short. These episodes are very short. Well, yeah, it's 22 counting like opening and closing credits and stuff. So uh, okay, yeah, okay, okay, okay. it really is. It's age appropriate. It's occasionally spooky, but in like a very surreal odd way, it's never like terrifying or anything, but it totally captures the, by the time it gets scary. You've, matured enough through the story because i'd say like (laughs) it's it is freaky once you get past once there's like episode six or seven i think it's six because every episode's its own thing but there's the main plot of we got to get out of the forest we're lost and then also there's a beast somewhere we got to be careful and then that sort of stuff culminates and yeah i would say like the way all that's introduced and handled is produced by people who are big horror fans and they're also fans of children's television. So they're balancing it really well, where it is scary and definitely scary for kids. But it's that's not bad. As we've talked about many times, it's not bad to be scared. It's fun and exciting. And so I think a running thing in our show is that for I like I constantly like that's not scary. And you're like, well, actually, it's pretty scary. Like that's every time we talk about anything even remotely scary. That's like the it's freaky. Yeah, you're just <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just not maybe I'm just like too strong constitution or something or I'm desensitized. Well, just because something's scary doesn't mean I'm like, oh, I got to turn it off or oh <laughs> man, this is too much. Like for me, it's like, oh, I feel the shuddering feeling. Yeah. I feel the tightness. I feel the thrill of it. And maybe so, I'm more emotionally closed off than you are or something. But because like you seem yeah. like you experience things stronger. I will say so like when it comes to like horror, I get the feeling that they their horror they're evoking is like full car and like stuff like the Wicker Man or like, yeah, because it's like it's strange. It's strangeness. It's very strange. Yeah. So, for example, uh, the third second or third episode is the Pottsfield episode, which might be my favorite episode of the whole show. I don't know. Hard times at the Huskin Bee when they go to the pasture. They go to like a location and it feels like a midsummer type location where it's just a weird town well first they open a door and there's a turkey sitting there and so like that's great because the turkey never bring gets brought up again and you never get a context <laughs> for why there was just a turkey sitting in a house at a table and all the characters they're, they're talking to have are like in pumpkin costumes and at first you're like they're everyone thinks it's because the pumpkins are alive and they're like they're worshiping like what looks like some sort of harvest guy well not worshiping they're dancing around it and the giant pumpkin just starts talking to them and it, it keeps doing they keep evoking horror tropes where like they're accused of breaking and entering and you think like they're getting sent to death and they're just sent to community service and blah blah and it has the perfect resolution that sets the tone for the whole show which yes, something weird totally. and wrong is happening but they're never actually in any danger because it turns out first then they get asked to dig holes in a giant field and at first even like Elijah Woods like we're digging our own graves and then they actually hit skeletons. And then they're just like, oh, no, it's <laughs> yeah. the previous people. And then it turns out that the skeletons are the people that are coming back to life. Like they're digging up more party guests for the party. And when the skeletons come <laughs> yeah, on the ground, yeah. they put pumpkins on and start dancing with their friends. And they're just like they leave. They leave on a note of like, we just got to leave. Like they're just like, we're freaked out. We don't we're not in danger. But then like the end line is the giant pumpkin guy is just like, you want to stay? And like, no, we, we, we're going to go. And he's like, oh, everyone comes here eventually and they're like okay (laughs) you know and so like there's this undercurrent of something is wrong and you feel uncomfortable weirded out because things are not the way they should be but the characters are like not being directly threatened by danger and that's kind of the tone of the whole show yeah they've never been in danger yeah the 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 tension is you know warts and gregory who have just plopped in this I always like the term Kafkaesque, but they're plopped in this strange, surreal world where the logic that they're used to does not apply. And they're constantly being thrown for a loop by just how strange everything they're surrounded with is. But the world that they're both frightened by is also in its own way whimsical and charming. 
and which is often punctuated by the soundtrack and the characters all actually having problems that they have to help them solve typically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's just the whole show. And so I love it to death. And I think it's just the perfect Halloween show. It's yeah, it's scary in a way that kids will maybe find disquieting. I don't know. Kids also are just weird. So they'll just like watch stuff and they're like, that was great without any like thought. Yeah. That they watch sometimes as I'm learning, mm-hmm. having to work with children, but it's one of my favorite things. It's a, you know, it's on Hulu right now. You can watch it for free it's on Hulu and HBO Max. It's on there. Yeah, it's, it's on HBO Max. It's on DVD for like 10 bucks. So it's very accessible. I highly recommend it. Melvin, what did you think of it? Oh, I love it. I love Over the Gun Wall. I remember a couple of years ago when it like came out and my friend was like, dude, you got to watch this. So we just watched the whole thing and it was really fun. We talked a lot about it a lot. I think he had a T-shirt with the horse that said, I want to steal and stuff like that. And so um, it was pretty big. I remember the first time watching it thinking it was fine, but knowing that it was really great. And then the time I rewatched it this year, I loved it. I loved it way more. And I was able to understand a lot more of it too. Part of that's just coming with maturity and just more experience with fear and uh, extrapolating on it. I've mentioned it in other episodes as like a correlation or just because it's been bubbling up. Um, But each episode sort of just deals with different types of fear and kind of how like in that particular episode you kind of went through with the second one and the pumpkins is sort of like how fear can kind of be, well, some types of fears are rational, but not necessarily uh, uncalled for because it makes sense to be scared going into a new situation where the new environment, everything's a little strange or different. People are all wearing masks. It's all pretty intimidating. We're locked in a farmhouse where people are dancing. And especially when they set it up that like they're walking to the past, they're walking to this town and they step on pumpkins on accident. So your, your immediate thought is like, they just killed two pumpkins. <laughs> and so it's like, it's great. And um, it's just freaky. But then of course, yeah, like you, you get to the end and they were never in danger for one minute. It was really just actually they just broke the law by breaking and entering and and uh, destruction of property and murder. Just kidding. No one murdered. It's uh, yeah. And then each episode continues to embrace it more like you were talking about the one where they're singing in the tavern. And it's like that one's sort of like the fear of like identity. And like they're saying, like, everyone has a song that sort of is about who they are. And the songs aren't all happy, but they're just about who they are some of them are scary some of them are sad some of them are fun and whimsical and then other ones are uh but then wart doesn't really have one and he's sort of embarrassed and freaked out about just like having to sing and then of course he sings and it's not very good so everyone (laughs) sort of makes fun of him it's pretty funny but trying to figure out who you are is scary especially for kids like i think that will or teens and kids that will be an episode that you sort of you may not have the words to teens may not have the words to understand why they connect with it, but they will probably connect with it because they're in the middle of the stage of figuring out who they are. Um, and it doesn't help that most parents are sort of not very compassionate to the experience of being a teenager. I say this as like where I work, there are older teens that I work with who constantly not are, are not complaining about their parents, but it's like, uh, there's sort of a perpetual state of why don't we make we make jokes about this at work and it's and they're they're cynical jokes where we're sort of just covering up the fact that we're really frustrated and it's this joke that's basically why do why do parents make children they don't like um why do parents make kid not not like the people that they've spent all this time investing in and mostly because <laughs> any parent will find out that the children they have they didn't exactly plan on not in the sense that they didn't plan to have a kid but you don't decide who your children's going to child will be. And unfortunately, teenagers don't decide it either. They're exploring it just as much. And so that entire episode of like, uh, who am I? What am I like? that? That's freaky, um, especially as we learn more about Wirt. And he's sort of just a loser, <laughs> like kind of lame and uh, very, very Mordecai like from regular show. Of course, he grows into it. And that's sort of how the show is coming of age thing but yeah i i don't want to necessarily write a dissertation on every single episode and explain how everything's a different form of fear because i don't think i need to and i think the episodes make it quite plain maybe some are more complicated than others like uh babes in the woods when <laughs> gregory just kind of 
kind of goes on a mad trip and David Lynch decides he wants to direct an animated feature. And it's uh yeah, what did you describe it as? Like a cuphead level? Yes. Yeah. That one's a little more complicated, but you could just say it's the fear of dreams. Uh yeah, I I really liked it. Um it's fun. I think about it often. Uh I almost rewatched it a second time within like two weeks, and then I was just like, No, I'm this is tired. I'll, I'll give it some time, give it some breathing room. But yeah, I, I really, really like it. Uh Over the Garden Wall, definitely a recommendation. Totally age appropriate, totally appropriate for everybody to watch. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just really cute. But I guess we could unpack some of the more broader stuff uh, if you're down for that. I mean, this is this is where when I <laughs> when I'm talking about the fact that this show is, quote unquote, scary, it's more to like what the broader implications in the story are. And that's because it's like, yeah, it's not making me like poop my pants scary, <laughs> but it's like it has some freaky visuals that are handled very, very well. Uh, do you want to kind of get into that? Like what's the beast and what's sort of like this broader story going on with over the garden wall? So um, there are two, three overarching stories in over the garden wall. First is something that's like put on the back burner and really not addressed until the ninth episode of the 10 episode series is the actual story of why, why the two kids are in the woods. Um, that's kind of the underlying main plot that, <laughs> one thing I'll say here, because it's just something that struck out to me watching it again, is it's sort of miraculous the show has in like has a story that actually ties together at all because it's so meandering and episodic in nature, where you could almost watch these episodes out of order for the most part, and it mm-hmm. forms a coherent narrative because the events that happen to them seem so random and strange. Uh, but the fact that it all ties together and ties together so well and neatly is kind of a minor miracle. And shows the strength of the writing team they had. But uh, so there is the overarching plot of why they're there. The second thing is the Bluebird character trying to take them to Adelaide of the forest, which it turns out is uh, not true. And to the extent that the character is trying to get, <laughs> well, I'll just say it right now like Adelaide is, turned her family into bluebirds. And so she's actually human in a bird body. And so she was doing it in exchange for getting turned back into a human, which she, upon getting to know the two kids, she decides not to do that because she likes Wirt Gregory. And the way she does it is they were saying they want to get out of the woods. And the bird says, well, if I take you to Adelaide, she can help you get out. Because she's magic or whatever. Yeah. But she's lying. So it makes even it makes more sense, too, in context where she's just lying to them to get them to go mm-hmm. to this creepy witch lady voiced by John Cleese. And then there's the, there's the beast, this ever-present evil and darkness that is lurking in the shadows. Uh, they've Sometimes they think the woodsman is actually the beast because the beast is said to be carrying a lantern and the woodsman has a lantern, and which is great because Christopher Lloyd's periodically shows up and goes, oh, the beast, the beast is coming. And then it's they're just so like, bad. ah, you know, <laughs> and they, they're like, you're the beast. And he's like, no, I'm not. And then, uh, but the beast is one of my favorite villains in anything ever because he is 99.9% of the time he's just shadow and eyes and he yeah. has this awesome voice. He is just fear. He is fear yeah. and darkness incarnate and uh he has this amazing voice that a lot of people I know think it's James Earl Jones at first, which I can hear it, but it's not James Earl Jones. It's uh this other guy who's an opera singer and he just like walks around the background of the woods going tra la 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 sometimes. Yeah, he just sings. It's and it's freaky. Awesome. <laughs> and yeah. And uh, he's manipulating the woodsman to do his bidding and the end reveal about what he's making the woodsman do is actually pretty sad. And uh, the reason he's doing it is even sadder. So, uh, but yeah, there's an ever present beast in the darkness that is lurking and he embodies the fear of the characters in so many ways. And I don't know if you want me to just fully get into spoilers at this point or. Well, it's, it's sort of just like, well, yeah, we can totally get into spoilers, but it's, it's, um, the beast, I mean, the the beast, the unknown, all of it, um, the unknown being the place that they're all in. Yeah, it's literally called the unknown in case uh, you're... New England Twin Peaks, basically, and everything's all kind of different. I, I Like I said, I don't need to exactly extrapolate to explain how the whole show's about fear, but when you start to get down to the beast and how he functions and what he is and um, everything else, it's like he, the whole show this personification and experience the fear. Cause even every character and every figure in the unknown sort of seems like they're there based upon some form of fear too. 
because the unknown is seems to be some like outside of time and space location and all of the other characters you run into have some form of it's not just that every character is a little off it's also that every character has something they're afraid of and it's sort of controlling their life they got hang-ups yeah yeah and so like the ringing of the bell episode episode seven which is when the uh wirt and gregory meet this girl who's trapped in a cabin and this large scary grandmother who eats baby turtles is (laughs) voiced by tim curry (laughs) yeah has has her locked up and so you're instantly afraid of the grandmother but it and the grandmother uses this bell and she can control the young girl uh and have her do her bidding and so you're immediately like this grandmother is the most terrifying thing in the world wow i'm a child and old people are scary i am very scared when it comes to christmas and i have to go to my grandparents house then it turns out of course that the young girl is some form of like creepy ghost witch creature thing uh ghost spirit and yeah it it turns out actually the one you should be scared of is this scary ghost um and was it doesn't um doesn't mr president eat the bell and so gregory shakes the the frog and then they're able to tell the ghost what to do i can't remember yes it's great but every single character in that episode has some form of fear going on and something scary, which one of my favorite tropes that this show kind of handles is how the beginning sets up pretty much every figure and character's plot and story. Like um, you have this opening song, this uh, melancholy track sung by Mr. President, and you even see uh, Gregory take a rock, which later comes back to be more significant than you think. And then even in the last episode, as everything sort of winds down, we're seeing all the characters we visited kind of embracing their fear or still kind of dealing with their fear. And it's just, it's very like cozy, but it's cozy in the sense that like, I don't know, the princess and the pea were like, you're in the most comfortable bed in the world, but something's a little different. Like, you know, you're not supposed to be in this place, um, but there's no other place to go. Uh, very, I don't belong in this pl- world anymore. It's very much that. But yeah, getting into specifics instead of talking heady concepts and jumping around plot lines, the beast. Yeah. Uh, who is the beast, Daniel? Uh, so we're going to get a little into a concept of interpretation for a second. Um, yeah. It is heavily implied the Beast is actually something else, uh, which when we get into like the very end of the show, uh, beca- becomes kind of a Inception top-spinning thing. But uh, for the most part, the Beast is a creature that is compelling the woodsman to cut down uh, trees to make wood for a lantern because he's convinced the woodsman that inside the lantern is the soul of his daughter. And if he does not keep the lantern lit, he'll lose his daughter. And the trees that he's cutting down, the Adelaide wood, are the petrified remains of other children and people who've wandered into the woods, into the unknown, and can't get out. And it produces this oil that can... Yes. It's a unique oil that is required for the lantern. The lantern can't be lit by any other anything else. So Correct. It's pretty, pretty sinister. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, you get, you get this look at the cyclical nature of fear and the way that fear traps people, where... It's revealed at the end that the lantern didn't have the soul of the woodsman's daughter. In fact, it has the soul of the beast itself. The beast itself needs the fear of others in order to keep itself alive and keep itself strong. And so this oppressive evil force that has been trapping and stalking our characters and trapping everyone in these little like cycles they can't get out has, in fact, had no power at all. And in terms of like a fairy tale story about the nature of fear and facing our fears, it's a very strong metaphor. Like the beast is this initially very scary creature. It looks like the birch from those. What is it? Crypt TV on YouTube. Looks like the birch. You ever see those short films? No. Yeah. Well, if someone listening <laughs> has seen Crypt TV horror short films, it's like a Blumhouse YouTube thing. Um, the birch is pretty popular. It looks kind of like that. He looks kind of like a um, like a nineteen. 19- 1800s depiction of the devil you know like he's like yeah he's like this like folk monster that's in the woods just watching you he's just a shadow with eyes it's a really great creature design and i've said before that like my favorite types of monsters are ones that 
are very scary, but also have clear cut weaknesses and ways to defeat them. And the beast mm-hmm. is exactly like that, where initially he's really terrifying because there's no known, like he has no known weaknesses. He's always stalking you and watching you. But then when you realize that there's a very clear cut way to defeat him, it's just ah, perfect stuff. And so it's this, he is this perfect embodiment for the metaphor of both the fear of the unknown, as well as just kind of like fear and darkness itself, where the darkness only has as much power over you as you keep feeding it and as you allow it to there's a great quote i've recommended before Patton Oswalt's book silver screen fiend where he talks about his own addiction to watching films and how it isolated from everyone he's a great little bit about he tells the reader to like get up and just do something else get up out of your funk and go be a writer do something and he says that like you know have your fill of the darkness and then get up and leave because the like you may tire of it, but the darkness never tires of you. And it's one of those things where as long as you want to sit and wallow, it will just be there. And the woodsman has been stuck doing this for God knows how long. And it's this thing where like, as long as you say, stay there and you're caught in this moment, it's just going to keep going forever and ever, which ties into sort of the vibe of the unknown, whereas it is this place that sort of exists out of time. And yeah. we're, we're led to believe it's one of those great things where it's as real as it needs to be. And the unknown is a real place. And I think that the reason they even show the montage at the end is to emphasize that these are real characters that exist. We don't know where yeah. they exist or what nature that they exist, but they're definitely real. What time, what place, we don't really know anything. Yeah, it's, it's just, the, what, this is real. Yeah, yeah, it has this like constantly like non-specific technology throughout the show. Everything looks like it's from the 1930s and 40s, but also... 1800s also there's magic (laughs) like there's no specificity to anything like that and the inciting incident that leads to this whole sort of like conclusion of the show is eventually like gregory loses hope and he decides to like lay down and die basically and uh sorry wart loses hope and gregory decides that he's gonna like work for the beast in order to help because the beast offers him freedom and of course the beast is trying to turn him into a tree to kill him so gregory finally gets spine faces his fear and he has this moment where he realizes that he can't take on the lantern and gets trapped in this place forever because it's just there's no reason to do that. And so when he has a moment where he finally faces his fear, it destroys his creature and it breaks the cycle. And he actually is able to even free the woodsman because the woodsman realizes that he's been lied to the whole time, you know. So it's yeah, it's a beautiful overarching metaphor for like turning your back against darkness, for facing your fear. And for stepping out of this place that has you trapped because and the the inciting incident for these children as we realize that uh, what's great is that the show just drops you. Like I said, just drops you in the store with no context. Gregory just has a pot on his head for some reason. It's awesome. And, um, <laughs> Wart has like a dunce cap. Looks, Wart has a yeah. tall dunce cap and what and like what looks like a like a like a overcoat an old overcoat which we later realized is like from a civil war costume and at first you're like okay adventure time style character design i'm re- i'm i accept it because that's just this is just what these characters look like and then it's realized that like oh these are halloween costumes because episode nine opens up and you're just back in the modern normal world wart is listening to a cassette player he's listening to like a like a rock indie song which as my friend um I think my friend Rachel or Shannon, one of them noted that, like when they first watched this, they were like, what? This isn't what the show sounds like. This isn't what the music of this world sounds like. And like yeah. that immediately caught them off guard because it's like a modern sounding song on like a show tune or something. And yeah, because uh, Wart is a teenager who on Halloween, he has made a mixtape to give to a girl he has a crush on and he's made this like dumb costume. And Gregory, the reason he has an upside down tea kettle on his head is because he's supposed to be an elephant and it's hilarious and all as you may have picked up on all the people's watching the show with are women and they all went oh <laughs> it yeah. was like i'm an elephant <laughs> you know so uh they wart is trying to work up the courage to tell this girl like someone he wants to do it via giving them a mixtape which is a vintage high school kid move or because you can't use your own words you're just gonna let some of the musician use their words to tell a girl how you feel mm-hmm. so then of course Gregory just is this precocious child who doesn't understand social things. So he just takes the tape from Wart and just gives it to the girl before Gregory has a chance to. And there's two subtle things going on throughout this. First, the whole show has built up Jason Funderburger, who is this supposed to be the coolest guy in the world who the I girl likes instead. Thunderburger. So you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, yeah. he must be jacked. <laughs> you're picturing King Jock. 
And then uh, you also, Wart keeps talking about how oh, people don't want me here. I'm so awkward. People don't like me. And so the girl goes to a party and he needs to go there to get the tape back. And he's like, oh, I can't go in there. I wasn't invited. And then and everybody Gregory likes him. Walks in. Yes. He <laughs> walks in the, like, hey, he walks where, in the what's door. What's going on, man? <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, no, no, I can't go in there. He walks in the door and everyone just goes, hey, Wart. Oh, like everyone's like happy to see him. He's like, oh, yeah. the, hi, guys. Sorry, I'm here. And they're like, oh, no, we like you. We're your friends. And he's like, no, no. And the girls there with Jason Funderburger, who just goes, hey, guys. Yeah. And you're just like, what? And it just it kills. Like, everyone in the room is laughing hysterically. It's been an eight-episode buildup to this guy. And it's so funny. He's, like, He's the nerdiest like... guy you've ever experienced. He's wearing, like, a full suit at Halloween for some reason. Total loser. He's, <laughs> so... like, a side character in Invader Zim, where everybody yeah. just looks <laughs> ugly and disgusting. And it's just that's this kid. Yeah. And we can say that he's a cartoon. Like, he's drawn yes. to be unappealing. Yes. So, yeah. And uh, so if you look like him, I'm sorry. But so <laughs> if you talk like him, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Uh, good work on that. Good vocal coach or something. Uh, so they, they they go to a graveyard because Halloween and they get chased off by a police officer who's funny in a way that I can't unpack right now. And they're running away. And as Wart and Gregor are running away, they look and they see a train and it's the head. The lights on the train are look exactly like the eyes of the beast. And it's implied that the beast is actually the train or some such. And then they jump off the tracks and they fall into the water and, and thus leading into the events of over the curtain wall where it's sort of this, yeah, purgatory time out of time place. And so this whole buildup of like, the, like the fear that he's facing, like he just needs to face this girl. He just needs to face the fact that, you know, he has issues at home with his parents, like, all the stuff he's running away from has led him into the unknown. He's lost in the woods. And so when he finally decides to face these things is when he wakes up and he leaves the unknown and he returns back to the world from whence he came. And the beast is this personification of everything he's running away from at home, or at least this is my interpretation of it. I'm sure there's other people who have different reads on the whole events Mm -hmm. of the show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like it explains like the whole show works on dream logic where like, characters things kind of make sense they make enough sense or if you just go along for the ride okay sure there's a school the school is just filled with animals and a teacher the teacher wants to teach animals for some unspecified reason specifically she teaches the animals to play instruments also her uh, her lover voiced by thomas lennon is run away also there's a girl on the loose you know there's all these like things that just don't make a lot of sense if you're just like to lay out the events logically but as a dream they make perfect sense where things are just sort of happening. But at the same time, like it's also a real place. Like, And the events that happen are real to the characters that they're happening to. So they're real enough for me. And the lessons they learn are also real and tangible. And the emotions they're feeling are real and tangible. The fear they're, they're facing is very, very real. And it really does a good job of encapsulating the fear you have as a teenager, where you're afraid of people, you're afraid of rejection, you're afraid of not fitting in. And so to be on a conveyor belt of strange places and people (laughs) where you're constantly feel like the world doesn't make any sense. Like I noted to somebody, I can't remember what specific episode it was, but there is an episode where they're just, Oh, the the episode at the end, where he's just like all these different people are singing songs, trying to force him to sing. They're like, this is just what it's like to be an introvert. You're just in a room full of people. People are just laughing and making noises that you don't understand. And they're trying to get you to engage. You don't want to engage. And all of the people around you have borderline cartoonish expressions. And they're saying weird things. That's what it's like to be an introvert, basically. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, I don't understand why everyone's talking so much. I don't understand why everyone wants me to talk back to them. Like, Wart is just this, like, sad set character who finally, because he has to save his brother, stands up to the darkness and stands up to the fear that he's feeling. And he's just like, I'm just going to go face what's ahead and I'm not going to stay here. I'm done. I'm done being here. So, you know, that's at least my experience watching it. And what I get out of watching it, um, there's some other little things about the show that are great, but we can't do it like an episode by episode breakdown or anything, but maybe someday, maybe but, someday, but yeah, I, I think what's nice is yeah. Coming from work, it, that's the primary catalyst for expressing all the, and experiencing all the fear. So like, that's why it probably resonates with a lot of teenagers or older teens um, or <laughs> millennials who never really got the memo or we were always told we became adults or you need to act like an adult, but then we're 26 and we still like cartoons or gosh, we're, we're 
48 like you, Daniel, and we still like cartoons and ghosts and stuff. And <laughs> you just get old, but you, you're like, when do I get the card in the mail that says I'm an adult and I'm not supposed to like things that kids like anymore? And so there's all these types of fear that are definitely specific to the teen or the teen at heart. But then I also like like the episode you described this where the, the teacher is trying to teach <laughs> basically just teach animals who are still just animals. They don't talk. <laughs> like they yeah, are, there are animals that do talk. This is not one There are animals that do talk, but not in this episode. <laughs> they just still just are animals eating food the way animals do. And then, of course, when they're given instruments, they play instruments like people. But in that episode, it's like there's this fear of the parent that there's the – the teacher's dad is subsidizing the payments for the school <laughs> and he's mad because they're not learning. And then like, you're like, oh, he's the scary bad guy. But then like they follow him and it turns out he's not, he's wearing a giant coat and then he takes it off and he's just this skinny, poor, malnutritious <laughs> old man who's like probably about to die. And he's like, oh, th- I have no more money. I can't support the school anymore. Oh, I've resorted to selling instruments to keep the school afloat. Not to mention there's a gorilla running around. That's right. Yeah. He's like taking the instruments from them to sell them. And like, it's like he has his own fear of like, <laughs> I want to be able to make my daughter happy and like help these animals learn, I guess, but I can't because I don't have the means to do so. So he has his own fears. The episode, like they decide the way to to raise money is to like, let the animals play instruments at like a fundraiser. And there's just townspeople. And I noted, I was like, where did these townspeople come from? Like, it's sort of like in WandaVision for the children. And there's no children in sight. Yeah. So is this a world where, I don't know. Like, I, you can't start applying logic to it, but it's just like, there's just all these normal human people there suddenly. Just like, where did they come from? Where is this? Do they all know there's a school full of animals there? Are they okay with this? Yeah, I mean, in the last episode, the only town that existed was of pumpkin skeletons. So it's like, <laughs> so, I guess there's real people now, too. Yeah, and there's a circus somewhere. There's a whole economy <laughs> that could sustain a circus. Like, where are they traveling it's so to? Awesome. Just buying tickets. It's you know? great. It's great. I love it. <laughs> but like, even when you get to the end, like the thing, like it actually was getting me emotional. To think about it when you were doing your soliloquy of the ending. Um, Cause I was remembering <laughs> um, Gregory's fear is that he went trick or treating at an old woman's house and saw a rock, a painted rock that he liked. So he took it. But then the entire show, he's had a guilt about this rock, which he brings up rock facts. They're great. Lots of rock facts. But then he has this like sadness of like, oh no, I stole this rock. I stole this rock. It's so sad. I stole this rock. And even at the end, that's like his fear. Well, he thinks that's why they're there. Yeah. He thinks it's all his fault. He thinks all this happened because I stole a rock. And, and frankly, that's true. Like he has this fear and doesn't know what to do with it. And now it's this internal turmoil tearing him apart. It's fear has this amazing thing where it does feel like you have a flame inside your body and it's just burning away. Like it, it hurts. It, it petrifies. It's just disgusting and terrible. And you need somebody to blow it out or to free you from it and to help you figure out how to resolve this emotion that's inside of you. And that just, cuts close to home to think that like so many people sort of just i don't know undermine the experiences of children and try to sort of say like that's babyish or that doesn't matter or even just to teenagers it's like why are you feeling bad wait until you get into the real world all of these things that are just very demeaning and essentially strip away people's humanity but Fear is fear is fear. Things are scary. We live in a fallen world where literally everything is affected. And so a child stealing a rock and then feeling really bad about it and then thinking, starting to rationalize why are bad things happening to me and my brother? Well, it's because I stole. Like, that's, I don't know, that really (laughs) makes my heart feel some kind of way. And it's just really, really touching. And so this show, while the the focus is definitely more teen based horror, um, not in like teen horror like we talk about in our Nightbooks episode, but more just like that's the lens we're looking through um, through Wirt as he's kind of going through. But we're really seeing that fear is sort of across the board. I mean, even the huntsman, the woodsman, his fear is like my child got sick <laughs> and was dying, and then this beast said you can keep your child alive if you keep lighting this flame. It's like 
that's really scary. And now you've been given an antidote to your fear. Well, I'm going to keep going to keep this light aflame. I'm going to keep doing whatever I can, even if it's sort of like the worst thing in the world, because you essentially chopping down trees of dead children to get their oil. I don't know. It's freaky. And then it's a living. And then even at the end, you see that the huntsman, his daughter survives the sickness. And so there's sort of this perseverance through fear, because that's sort of the show is moving through it, navigating it, experiencing it in different ways. Yeah, so it's just it's a great show. It's a really, really, really wonderful meta. It's a it's a wonderful, safe, exciting, goofy, fun, and effective meditation on fear. And uh, I love it. Over the Guard Wall is really good. I'm gl- I'm so glad we're talking about it. But is there? I don't know. Is there anything else that we sort of haven't touched on with the show? I, I yeah. This this show is full of so many wonderful songs. The, the soundtrack is online, and I think it's on Spotify as well. And they include songs that weren't included in the show. And if you listen to them, you can totally tell like. Oh, I think they're going to include that here. I think they're going to include that here. Uh, I'm not a proponent for like rebooting shows or making more of it just because I want more of it. Like people want more like Gravity Falls and stuff, even though the show kind of ends perfectly. But uh, Over the Garden Wall is one of those shows that you could totally, they could totally release like six more episodes and just claim they happen in between the other episodes of the show and it would make complete sense because it's so, it's so episodic and meandering. And who knows how long they're in the unknown, you know? I'm also a big fan of the teacher's song that she sings about her husband where she's it's the alphabet but each it's letter great. is like yeah, a is for Passive the aggressive. apple that he gave to me but i found a worm inside yeah, and then like they cut back later and she's like why isn't why oh why and it just like keeps going and it's like the lesson for the students so i'm like what are they supposed to be learning from this yeah, song it's, it's awesome <laughs> i end a lot of sentences with things i like which is, i'll mention something in the show and be like yeah it's great it's great but yeah, really, like, Over the God Wall, everything about it is just so wonderful. And uh, it's it's brimming with creativity and whimsy, but, like, purposefulness. Like, you can tell that this is a lovingly crafted little show from the people who made it. And they loved every second of the show. And it's so unique and so special. And it came out, like, at this point, like, seven or eight years ago. And mm-hmm. I have yet to see anything that evokes the same kind of mixture of nostalgia but also it feels fresh and new at the same time you know mm-hmm. nostalgia is by no means a it is not a substitute for originality or story which i think sometimes we lose sight of but in this case it evokes a, a deep nostalgia that is like the it evokes a nostalgia of you as a kid walking around the woods behind your house or the nostalgia of when you went over to visit your grandparents or something and there's like this it felt like there's a whole wide world out there that you're both kind of terrified of but you wanted to see more of like as well as the feeling of Halloween where everything is a little bit spookier than it would be normally. And over the garden wall so perfectly evokes those feelings. Like you can smell it. You can smell the leaves in the air. You can, you know, hear the sounds of kids running around the background while watching it. And over the garden wall just does such a great job of encapsulating that feeling while also giving you a fully original story within that feeling. If that makes any sort of sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So totally. I'm just a big fan of it. So then for your recommendation, are you just straight up recommending just watch over the guard wall again? <laughs> for a third time, <laughs> I am recommending Game of the Year, Super Mario Brothers 2. <laughs> Every that's year. A spe- that's a specific reference. And no, so uh <laughs> so my, my initial uh Christian Jesus y recommendation, uh <laughs> I'm going to recommend the Philippians volume from the Wycliffe exegetical commentary set. So I will say a lot of the Wycliffe volumes were kind of rewritten for the uh, Nicot series, but, and so Moises Silva wrote it. He later wrote a second commentary for the Baker exegetical commentary set, uh, which I also am a fan of that set. So if you get either that or the Wycliffe one for Philippians, it'll have similar content, I'm sure. But Moises, is, Moises Silva's Philippians commentary, uh, I'm a big fan. If you if you notice a pattern in the type of commentaries I recommend, I like things that both have depth but are also p- pretty easy to read. And I like the way the Baker exegetical commentary set is constructed. I also like the way the Wycliffe set is constructed. You probably find the Baker exegetical commentary easier as that set is in print and more recent and likely has also been revised or edited for uh, accuracy. So I'll just go with that one. I for But to clarify, I did use his, the volume he wrote for the Wycliffe commentary set. 
but either one is really good. I recommend it. It was really invaluable in for my sermon preparation. But that's my commentary recommendation. Anyway, what did you have recommending, Melvin? I'm going to recommend The Black Coat's Daughter to continue doing my recommendations of horror movies or horror fun stuff this month. Black Coat's Daughter is a very, very... When you, when people describe the word slow burn, they do not have this movie in mind because this movie is very, 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 very slow. But uh, it's a good horror movie where basically uh, two two girls are staying at their college, um, their Catholic college, during spring break or something like that. The one is definitely being affected by the devil, and then the other one is having relationship issues. And it's sort of like a post-slasher, because it's not like Halloween, where like, every 20 minutes you're going to see someone die but it's definitely a freaky film it has a lot to do with when certain forms of care are not implemented something else will take its place and it's a yeah i I really love it i've watched it a couple times i own it it's on my shelf Um, Catherine actually got me a nice blu-ray copy for my birthday and uh, it's definitely a qualifier because it has uh, demon stuff in it, Satan stuff in it. But it's very, very light, uh, frankly. We don't like that guy. Yeah, we don't like Satan. <laughs> but when you're a Christian and not stepping into other people's lives, sometimes Satan likes to step in for you. Uh, and it's one of them kind of movies. I often step away after watching it thinking different different things about it. Um, and I think different things about it with relation to things going on in my life or uh, people that I am looking to evangelize to, or frankly, just looking to love like Christ would love, because a lot of the film is um, a character is not getting any kind of love um, from people who uh, probably would say that they love the Lord, um, but are not expressing it to this person. And uh, that's, if you watch it, you're going to go, Melvin, what are you talking about? None of that's in this movie. It's there, but it's very thinking. It's very much a uh, fill in the blanks kind of film. If you like melancholy cinema, and it, so if you liked Over the Garden Wall and you like melancholy, although that's more fun, um, then you'll probably have a good time with Black Hood's Daughter. Solid 90 minutes, very comfy, uh, a good apple cider sipper uh, kind of movie. Uh, definitely recommended. So I'll have a link for that. If it's streaming somewhere, I'll have a link for that uh, down in the show notes. If not, I'll just have a link to the Blu-ray. Uh, but what do you have for a fun recommendation, Dan? So I, I saw a movie and I don't think it was good, but I really want to get other people's opinion on it. So what I'm asking is I'm going to talk about a movie real quick. And I want you to respond to me on Twitter or on the Facebook group or whatever, or the TikTok account that we secretly opened that has nothing on it. And just <laughs> like, let me know what you think of this movie, because I think it tries something really interesting. I don't think it, I don't think it was very successful in doing it where the movie tried to marry a coming-of-age, perks of being a wallflower-type story with a slasher movie. It's on Netflix. I'm, of course, talking about There's Someone Inside Your House. Oh, yes. Very yeah. weird movie. I Do we want to do, like, a quick five-minute review? Um, even You can still recommend it, but, like, I saw it, I, too. So. I am only recommending it within the context of watch it and then tweet at me to tell me if you think it's a good movie or not. <laughs> I... I watched it with uh, my father-in-law who only likes movies where people get murdered. So he liked the murdering parts. He didn't like the non-murdering parts of the movie. And even my wife, who is a wonderful human being, we were watching it. There's a scene in the movie where a character expresses to another character like, I really want to go see the ocean. And he's like, well, I can't take you to the ocean. But he takes her to a giant field of corn. And they're watching the field of corn. It's like, it's kind of like watching the ocean. You know, they're it watching like it. corn waves yeah. around, you know, nice scene. And she's just like, what are they going to get murdered? <laughs> so, <laughs> like that was, that was my watching experience. And so there's some interesting stuff in there. They attempt to do like a Heather's thing where like all the people get murdered are like terrible people. But then like a character gets murdered for just because they do drugs, which is very weird. Not right, even you know? that and he just does the drugs. It's that he's coping because like his parents are like are constantly arguing, potentially abusive, you could assume. And so he's just popping some volume because he's like, I am in a perpetual constant state of misery. And then he gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> because it's very I even remember weird. Kat and I were talking about it and we're listing off the other people who die. And it's like, cause they have this skeleton in their closet. That's really quite bad, like sickeningly bad. And then this guy, and I'm like, I just said to Kat, I'm like, 
but what the heck about that third kill? Like, what was his beef? Like, nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong, yeah. like, comparatively it's, speaking. it's There's so many little elements that work really great. Like, the slasher, the mask is the 3D print a mask of the person they're going to kill. That's a great gimmick. And some of the kills are fun. Like, they really like using the, the their corn syrup and squibs in this movie when people get murdered. Yes. But like, there's such long stretches where it's just a teen coming-of-age dramedy. It's just it, totally it's kind of a mess. I wasn't sure what the movie was trying to say by the end. It was kind of messy. And it just I don't know if it married those two. Like, I always like a movie that's ambitious. I like when you try something new. I could see this becoming kind of a cult favorite because it's such an odd mixture of genres. It's a Zoomer movie. This is the one I was telling it's you. Very like, this Zoomer-y. is a Zoomer movie. This will be Zoomer's favorite movies. Like kind of like last year's Let It Snow is like definitely well, it's, some it's Heather's for It's Heather's for this generation, right? Where it's like, yeah, kind of, of, you know, like it's not quite the same thing, but you know, like there's a whole thing where like there's the mean girl is like trying to like be pro like non-binary trans for clout. And like, that's something that like I could tell my father-in-law didn't even understand the words that were being said. Yeah. You know, it's just like, what are they talking about? Just makes like a boomer's brain cells melt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like they spoke in like, you know, wingdings or something. Yeah. <laughs> like what is happening? Yeah. You know? And yeah, so there's that stuff in the movie, but like, I was just like, I don't know if it pulls off what's trying to do well. So like watch the movie, tweet at me, let me know if you liked it or not. And I don't know. I just like, I, there's other things I saw that were better, but I was just like, I keep thinking about it going like, I don't know if they did that well. Like I just, it's kind of a mess. Zoomer movies are weird, dude. It got like very middling reviews too, like very mixed response for critics. So I felt very yep. validated by that. But yeah. the thing about Zoomer movies that I'm starting to find out is that they're kind of strangely really graphic. They're very boring and tame in their themes and messaging, but then they have these really graphic or kind of dark themes. Cause like the movie could practically be seen by a 14 year old, but then like the violence is pretty intense. And then a lot of like the things that the characters have done that are bad are really really bad things and like then they show them like they have the actors perform those events and like it's just weird but i've been noticing that in a lot of other like zoomer-esque influence type movies i don't know i maybe it's a generational thing it's the beginning of us becoming boomers going back in my day things weren't as intense as i'm watching like what back in my day i watched hereditary so it's like i don't know anymore well yeah it's an interesting thing where it's like i media often just reflects the world that it's about you know so it's like this is this is not unusual for this generation like the stuff they're talking about these are the conversations that they're having you know like well who's that um this is the generation. What's that? It's not sleeping with sirens. It's the other one that, um, oh, blood on the dance floor. This is the generation that liked oh blood on gosh. the dance floor, but then saw the video that got him canceled, um, where he's basically like with this drunk girl and being a total creep because they were underage because everybody on and their mother saw it on social media like six years ago. And so like the stuff in this movie, which is surprising to me, for a film that's clearly t- targeted for a demographic younger than me is already pretty. This is not shocking. This is the generation that watched a live stream killing of a reporter like four years ago. So like, I don't know, man, zoomer zoomer films are weird. Yeah. Like, well, I, I, I didn't think, yeah, I didn't find anything in the movie particularly shocking. The hazing, the hazing's shocking. Hazing in general is shocking, but I guess I, for me, yeah, to me, this just seemed very like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> like that was my that was my experience was watching it. Oh, I was just yeah, like totally. Where I was just like, you know, I would just, you know, I I work with the youth at my church and stuff, you know, and so it's just like I'm hearing stories about like ten to eleven year olds getting shown pornography at school, you know, and stuff. And mm-hmm. just like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, I could see this being a thing. And maybe I'm just online too much. So just like, yeah, like it's more like I'm seeing the internet bleed more and more into movies. It's the welcome to the internet, Bo Burnham. <laughs> he was talking about this movie, you know, and yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, I just can't decide if it's good or not because like all the stuff we're talking about is interesting. Like it's interesting that this movie feels like it's trying. At least it feels like it's trying to more earnestly reflect the generation that it's making a movie for. Like I definitely felt like the teenagers in the movie felt more like teenagers, even though again they all are clearly older actors trying to play teenagers. But like the way they had talked and acted seemed a little more 
at least like the teenagers that I remember. So who knows what that means to the people who are teenagers now. But yeah, that stuff is interesting. But I don't know if it all adds up to like a good movie or not. And that's what I can't it decide. It doesn't. So, you know. <laughs> I think I well, gave it like so a like, five or a six. Yeah. Well, like I feel like that counts for something though. Like the fact oh, that I'm yeah, still talking about it. Totally. And so it's just like, but that's kind of the point though, isn't it? Like there's a quote, mm-hmm. better movie that had better kills or more consistent violence that I just forgot about though. So it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's just well, a it's like me with Polaroid. Yeah, it's not very good, but for some reason you just keep thinking about it. Yeah, we'll just we'll just we'll we'll just put that on the shelf next next to Halloween Kills and Bioshock Two being the best and and you don't like Adventure <laughs> Time and <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like it. I just said I didn't watch it much, but whatever. <laughs> Thanks for coming to our if, cinematic if we, doctrine if, episode. If we ever friends. if we if we ever become popular to have a wiki, I just want a section that's just like bad takes Melvin's Melvin. takes. <laughs> And then, it, it, like, for me, it'll have, like, a bunch of Daniel-isms, just like, or, you know. Ghosts are real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, d- I did yeah. not say that. So, uh, <laughs> ask me about ghosts. I'll tell, uh, I'll tell you about it. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.